Hello, I'm Jenny Longdon, and this is History Now, a new history podcast for Mail Plus. On today's episode, we're looking at a subject that's very relevant today, the anti-vaccination movement, or so-called anti-vaxxers. Today, anti-vaxxers are high-tech, spreading their lies via Facebook and TikTok and claiming that vaccines contain 5G chips put there by Bill Gates. And make sure you know that this vaccine has MRC5, which is originally developed from the lung tissue of a 14-week-old aborted Caucasian male fetus. Do you really want this in your body, as well as the recombinant DNA that makes you a robot? The first anti-vaxxers had different methods, but many of their ideas remain the same. In 1796, people voiced objection to the findings of a country doctor called Edward Jenner, who noticed that milkmaids were immune to smallpox and came up with an unpleasant-sounding way to protect people from it. Joining me to discuss this further is historian and author Nigel Jones. Nigel, thanks for joining us. Tell me, first of all, about what it was that Edward Jenner discovered. Yeah, well, Jenner can be called the greatest benefactor of humankind in all history because he saved literally millions of lives. He uh, is the father of immunology, father of vaccination, not only for smallpox, but for all diseases that have um, been conquered by vaccination since then. And of course, there have been many polio, cholera, diphtheria, tetanus, rabies, you name it, all these scourges of mankind were wiped out thanks to the work of Edward Jenner. He was a country doctor in Berkeley, a village in Gloucestershire, and he noticed that um, milkmaids who contracted a minor disease called cowpox with their work milking cows were immune to smallpox. So he extracted, it's, this is going to sound disgusting, but this is what he did, he extracted pus from the pustules of cowpox And from the lymph from that, he injected a young boy called James Phelps, eight years old, the son of Jenner's gardener, actually, with that. And that was the first anti-smallpox injection. Smallpox was an incredible scourge. It reckoned to kill maybe one in seven children in all Europe up to the beginning of the 19th century when Jenner fathered vaccination. And it was probably the most common cause of death since the Great Plague up to that time. So very quickly, Jenner's ideas became accepted. In fact, Napoleon had the whole of his army vaccinated within about 10 years of Jenner's discovery. But of course, it bred opposition. Yeah, you can see why that method of doing it would have been quite controversial at the time. What was people's response to it? Well, twofold. Scientists and educated people, I I can say, seized on it with alacrity because smallpox was such a killer and this was very quickly proved to be an effective preventative to smallpox. But he was satirised. There's a wonderful cartoon by a caricaturist at the time, very famous one, called James Gilray, in which he depicts Jenner injecting patients with the uh, smallpox vaccine and immediately little cows, miniature cows, sprout from all parts of their body, from their eyes, from their arms. And this was sort of popular attitude to smocks, smelt smallpox, that it was introducing foreign bodies. And there were religious people, of course, Christianity, uh, we were a very, very religious country at that time. Christianity was very powerful. They suggested that injecting material derived from creatures, from animals, was 
anti-Christian, was anti-religious. That was one argument against it. Another was that um, people had control of their own bodies. And if they wanted to refuse a vaccine, that was their right. It was, if you like, a civil liberty. And that argument has persisted from that day to this, because many of the anti-vaxxers of today say, well, you can have your vaccine, but I choose not to because my body is my own. Well, how did the government respond to that backlash? Well, within 50 years of the smallpox vaccine being introduced, in 1853, the government of the day passed a vaccination act making it compulsory for all young children and then a bit later on all all children of all ages up to 14 i believe that it was compulsory to have the smallpox vaccination now this did breed a lot of opposition for some reason leicester the city of leicester in the in the midlands was the center of that opposition and in fact there was a march of up to 80 to 100,000 people marched through leicester with parents there were two or three parents who said they were going to refuse to have their children inoculated and they were prepared to go to jail to do so. And eventually the opposition was so strong that by the end of the 19th century, the government did pass an act saying anyone who objects on conscientious grounds, like someone objecting to conscription in wartime, on conscientious grounds could be exempted from um, having a vaccination. Obviously, today we are hearing from a similar group of anti-vaxxers. You know, we're hearing these arguments from anti-maskers and social libertarians. Do you see the the fundamental core beliefs they had still exist today? Yes, and I think there's two streams in the anti-vaxxers. They are, if you like, the people descended from those who said, oh, it can't be good having animal material injected into your body. They are the people who today say, oh, Bill Gates is going to inject a microchip in along with the vaccine. That sort of, you might say, irrational, unscientific objections to vaccination. And then there's the other side of the anti-vax campaign, which are the civil libertarians who say, my body is my own, I'm not going to have this, but for reasons of, uh, of civil liberties. So those are the two strands of the anti-vaxxers who have passed down in an almost unbroken stream from the early 19th century to up to today. And obviously it was smallpox that Jenner was trying to eradicate. Did he succeed? When did that happen? He did, actually. It took a long time because smallpox was a scourge not only in the sophisticated, advanced countries of the West, but also in the developing world, in, in Africa and in India. And it was only in 1977 that the last smallpox case was identified. And about three years later, in 1980, the World Health Organization declared finally that smallpox was eradicated. On the 8th of May, 1980, Dr. Halfdan Mahler, Director General of the World Health Organization, signed a certificate of eradication. I think probably it exists in laboratories somewhere, but certainly as a disease spreading among the general population, smallpox is now a thing of the past. And the same can be said for other diseases later on that were eradicated by vaccination, such as another great child killer, diphtherias and tetanus. And what's quite interesting is there was a big movement against that in between the wars. It's called the DPT injection. And that was very similar to the objections that were voiced at the beginning of this century against the MMR, multiple vaccine, that was developed against measles, mumps and rubella, or German measles. 
The dawn of the modern anti-vaxxer movement can be traced to the 1990s when British doctor Andrew Wakefield published an article in the medical journal The Lancet suggesting that the widely used triple MMR vaccine against measles, mumps and rubella could cause severe side effects in children, including bowel disease and autism. His study has been discredited and he was forbidden to practice medicine, but it had an enormous and ongoing impact. Nigel, why did Andrew Wakefield's ideas catch on? I think, again, there was this suspicion that if you had too much of a vaccine, i.e. the triple vaccine of measles, mumps and rubella, MMR, that would cause an overload that would cause some sort of adverse reaction in the body. And also, at that time, people were becoming much, much more aware of autism. For example, when I was growing up, I'd barely heard of autism. It was only when I was about 20 that I first heard of it, and it became not a fashionable condition, but a condition that had much more publicity. So a woman whose son suffered from autism approached Dr. Wakefield. He was then a doctor. He's since been forbidden to practice in Britain. She approached him and suggested that there might be a connection between the MMR vaccine, which her son had had, and autism. Wakefield then, as you said, wrote a study based on a very small number of uh, people, patients, suggesting that there was a connection between MMR, not only autism, but bowel disease as well. And it took some years for this to be discredited. And as a result, the take-up in MMR injections went down by some 20% in Britain. And so it did have a very, very severe effect. Parents were scared, frankly, to have their children given this vaccine. And it was only when he was utterly and completely discredited and left Britain, was struck off in Britain and went to the United States, where he's now a prominent anti-vaxxer campaigner over there, that the uh, MMR began to be taken up again to the scale it was before he published his findings. How are the modern anti-vaxxers that came about from that movement different from those in generous time? I think in the modern movement, I think is a general distrust of big pharma, of these big corporations like um, Pfizer that are producing such vaccines. I think there is a general distrust of corporate anonymous corporations producing these sort of vaccines. The pharmaceutical companies are given a free ride on injecting toxins in your children without a single safety study. Back in Jenner's day, I think it was popular ignorance, frankly. I mean, it was really the dawn of modern science, certainly the dawn of modern immunology in those days. But I think both anti-vaxxers then and anti-vaxxers now are inspired by fear. And fear is bred from ignorance. So the, really the only effective way to counter anti-vaxxers, in my opinion, is by the dissemination of scientific knowledge of reputable people who have studied the vaccines know that the overwhelming majority of cases is completely safe. It should be said, there are some people who react badly to vaccines in the same way as people have certain gluten intolerances and things like that. If you are allergic, if you know that you have some underlying condition or a very, very weak immune system, you probably should seek medical advice before you have your vaccine, because in a tiny, tiny, tiny minority of cases, there are adverse reactions to vaccines.
But in the overwhelming majority of cases, well, well over 99%, there are no um, adverse reactions at all, and vaccines are proved to prevent the onset of these devastating diseases. You mentioned that Wakefield is still active in the anti-vaxxer movement. Do people still look up to him? Do they follow his beliefs? I think America, the United States, as we've seen particularly in recent years, are more inclined to follow uh, anti-scientific and simply crazy beliefs, conspiracy theories that have no real basis at all. But I think the answer to them is to simply look at the actual history of immunology, of the number of diseases that have been conquered by vaccination, for example. And the greatest genius of all, in my opinion, was a French scientist, Louis Pasteur, who we're not only grateful to him for allowing us to drink unadulterated beer, milk and wine, because he got rid of the toxins in those by the process now known as pasteurization, killing off microorganisms that were making milk sour and wine undrinkable. But he also developed vaccinations against rabies, against anthrax, against cholera. He was a monumental figure who, like Jenner, saved millions and millions of lives. And once that's recognized, and the work in modern times of an American scientist called Jonas Salk, who developed the vaccine against poliomyelitis, which killed millions of people, but also paralyzed millions of people. It was an absolutely devastating disease. And that has also been eliminated by the development by Salk in the 1950s of a vaccine against that. So if you just look at those great scientists and the work they did and the effects that it had on these terrible, fatal diseases, that in itself is a huge answer to the anti-vaxxers, I think. Today's anti-vaxxers are much more high-tech, using platforms like TikTok to spread discredited information and lies, including ideas eerily familiar from the first anti-vaxxers. Nigel, what can we learn from those early dissenters? Well, they were fought by facts, and the biggest fact of all was the number of people walking around perfectly healthy after they had vaccinations and the dramatic decline in these devastating diseases. I mean, in the early 20th century, uh, people were terrified of things like cholera, diphtheria, which was a particular devastating killer of children. And those diseases were wiped out. It's interesting that of Pasteur's five children, three of them died of typhoid. So even the people who researched and fought these sort of diseases were themselves in their most intimate lives, in their family lives. They were not immune themselves. And that just gives us some idea of the sort of progress that has been made since Jenner first noticed that milkmaids didn't develop smallpox. And do you think we can look to that to stop the spread of this sort of disinformation today? I do. I simply think that by looking at the millions of people who, thank goodness, are going to now get vaccinated against COVID-19, the latest killer, I think by their examples, by the fact they're going to be walking the streets perfectly healthy again, and lifts latest scourge from the face of humankind, I think that that is going to be the most effective answer against the anti-vaxxers. Today we're hearing from anti-vaxxers who have slightly differing beliefs in a number of ways. Just tell me a little about that and uh, sort of the dangerousness really of, of what the information is they're spreading. 
Of course, information technology now is everywhere, is universal, thanks largely to the internet, and a whisper can become a shout within a matter of minutes or hours. And I think the anti-vaxxer movement of today is tapping into other conspiracy theories that are out there that are on the wilder shores of the internet. For example, the QAnon theory in the United States that the world is run by an, an elite using uh, drugs that they obtain from the uh, blood of tortured and kidnapped children. That's the bones, the bare bones, the essence of the QAnon theory. And I think those sort of crazy ideas are spreading into the anti-vaxxer movement and people in the anti-vaxxer movement are definitely latching onto that, which makes it much more dangerous because information spreads so quickly and so rapidly and, they, and, 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 and the internet is like a Tower of Babel, you know, there's a thousand million voices from all over the place. It's the most significant medical issue in society today is the injury from vaccinations. So where do we go to for truth, for recognized reputable knowledge not from anonymous or pseudo-anonymous um, conspiracy theorists, but from recognized scientists who speak sensibly, who are rational, and who point to the actual practical effects of their work in terms of, of, of safe vaccinations uh, to counter these wild and unverified, and of course, without any evidence, arguments. And on top of that, you've got the fake news hashtag, you know, this, this sort of movement that's come along. Do you think that's also not helping the spread of the anti-vaxxers message? Yeah, and I think particularly in the last four years, and we won't mention any names because this isn't a political discussion, uh, certain people in high places uh, have, by their own wild and irrational statements, given turbocharges to... Uh, such wild conspiracy theories. I think that that has been um, certainly conducive to spreading the anti-vaxxer message. But as I say, ordinary, sensible people should look to the results, to, to look what happens. If we manage to conquer COVID with the use of the, uh, of the various vaccines that are coming from different sources over the next year, two years or so, that will, I hope, finally uh, put a stop to such theories. And just how vital is that at the moment that we get on top of this anti-vaxxer movement? Well, absolutely vital. The fact that I am speaking to you from 50 miles away from you and I can't speak to you in your studio is because we as a country are locked down. I mean, COVID has had such a universal effect, even more than smallpox outbreaks or plague outbreaks before. Literally every single country in the world and literally every single person has been affected in one way or another by this dreadful pandemic. And of course, because it spreads, uh, because of modern communications and modern travel, because it's spread so absolutely rapidly, along with it, conspiracy theories and anti-vaxxers spread rapidly as well. I mean, there's the old saying, lies have gone round the world 10 times before truth has got its boots on. And I think that that's what's happened here. So I think it may be some time uh, before we reach the stage that vaccinations have cured COVID. Because, of course, there's also the concept of herd immunity, which the government um, in this country adopted at first. The idea, uh, and, and this does have an effect on epidemics and pandemics, because once a certain proportion 
a certain number of the population has been affected by it, a herd immunity develops, the disease itself goes into the, if you like, into the general run of all the other diseases that we cope with every, every winter, and it fades into the background. But I think vaccination, mass vaccination, will certainly help that process. Um, we should, the, re, the reason why these days the main killers before COVID came along were such things as cancer, uh, cardiovascular disease, hearts and strokes and dementia, things like that, were because all the other killers that killed us at a much earlier stage in our lives had been eliminated and largely by vaccination. And partly in thanks to Jenner. I think uh, from if you trace it back to the fountain of it, uh, almost entirely thanks to Jenner. He should have a monument twice as high as Nelson's column for, for, for the millions and millions of lives that he saved. We all owe him a debt. That's it for today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to us and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google and Spotify. Thank you to Nigel Jones for joining us today. I'm Jenny Longden. Thank you for listening.